Redesign Travel is an interview series and podcast where we chat to experts, entrepreneurs, designers, researchers, and travelers of the world to explore how we can reimagine, reinvent, redesign, and regenerate travel. I'm your host, Elena Rodriguez Blanco. Welcome to today's journey. In today's episode, we're journeying with Charles Michel. He works as an experience designer in a variety of fields and as an artist using food and the meal ritual as media. In recent years, he has been working in cutting edge projects that innovate in community building, food innovation, hospitality, and experiential art. He recently starred in the Netflix, The Final Table and reached the semifinals. You should definitely watch it. He is always at the intersection of science, art, community, and entrepreneurship. A very inspiring soul, Charles aims to inspire solutions for important challenges in the ways humans relate to each other and to nature. Charles, welcome to Redesign Travel. We are honored to have you here today. Hello, Elena. Thank you so much for inviting me. So tell us, where are you these days and what is maybe one aha moment that uh, 2020 has brought for you? Wow, yes, what a year, uh, what a time in history to be alive. Huh? I think one of the greatest gifts has been to, to actually stop traveling and, and be able to, so I, I have been very lucky to be able to land in a piece of, of land in nature and living in nature since, since March, basically, at my father's place uh, on a piece of land that he has been stewarding for the past eight years. And... The greatest gift has been able to realize how much wonder there is in the small miracles of everyday life, like seeing a seed sprout in spring, uh, harvest the fruits and see it die and harvest the seeds um, for the next season. And, um, and yeah, I've been learning a lot from my father, uh, who is a gardener by training since he was 15. And so for the first time, actually having the time to spend some time with him in the garden, to do my own, um, kind of plant my own seeds, um, to tend the plants that, uh, that, that I see it in myself. And, you know, I think there's a, there's a, as I said, there's a miracle to it, right? When we see a little tiny seed and then you see it grow and blossom into full delicious food, um, it changes something. It, 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 it strikes a very deep chord in our human um, DNA, I believe, and human psyche. And at least that's, that's been kind of the, the greatest gift I've received, the gift of, uh, of being able to have time to uh, see the cycles of the seasons, I guess. Beautiful. Yeah, definitely. I think knowing uh, where our food comes from and being able to follow the full cycle is, is almost a privilege nowadays. And I know you mm -hmm. are, to me, have been an inspiration for sure in relating to, to food differently and using um, food and our mealtime and that moment of how we relate uh, to our world and ourselves in such a um, spiritual and also sustainable manner. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your your projects that you've been working on and how you, how you live that experience and how you share it with the world. Hmm. Yes. Thank you. So, um, so I've been, I've been wearing many hats in the past decade and always with food being the common denominator. And, you know, along the, along the journey of these past years, I realized that maybe what was most needed from 
kind of my expertise was actually food education. I felt very much that, um, you know, I could be, you know, a performing artist and doing, you know, using food as, as a, and, and the meal ritual as, as media or innovating and entrepreneurship food, or I could, I mean, host experiences, all these different aspects of, of, of using food and, 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 and building community. But then I realized that what is most needed, I guess, what I felt most called to do was actually to focus on food education. And what do we mean by that? It's, it's you know, there are many things that can happen within that, that framework. It all starts, I guess, from the realization that even though we are the only animal species that have uh, the control of fire and we are the only animal species that um, consume cooked food, for some reason, we have forgotten to teach that at schools. And for some reason, we live in an almost completely food illiterate society. The benefits I intuit and we can imagine quite simply, right? Anyone in the audience can, can imagine what it would mean if we learned about the basics of cooking and the basics of food at school with the same relevance uh, and the same importance as we studied history, mathematics, language, uh, geography, right? Um, it is in a way the art of the embodied practice of being a human in a planet, in a living, breathing planet. And, uh, and I believe that really, you know, understanding food as nourishment and also as knowledge, a source of wisdom is incredibly empowering. And, and of course, that also connects with, with how we live, right? And the decisions that we make uh, on a daily basis um, and where we live, but also on, on how food is a medium to, 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 to make us travel in space and time. To, it's, uh, food is culture. Food is identity. Food is many things, right? We could go on and on saying food is dot, dot, dot. And so it is truly a common denominator. It is the life force uh, of our bodies uh, on a daily basis. It is also a source of joy. It is, it is many things. And so I felt, you know, right now, basically all this to say that, um, that what I've kind of stepped into more and more is to really work in, you know, towards food education, towards um, also in a way food activism, uh, just trying to be, you know, more vocal about the importance of, um, of thinking about anything related to, to, to food, especially when it comes to social and environmental justice. I think food is, is going to play a very important role there as well. So that's kind of what I'm focusing on right now. There's a lot of different projects moving around. I'm consulting for the World Food Program in Colombia. I'm helping uh, also a hospitality project in Costa Rica reopen after COVID around uh, regenerative values and practices. And of course, also creating content on Patreon and uh, on social media, which is something I really enjoy. And there's a beautiful community building up there. Amazing. I love how you say that food is culture, food is identity, and it's so powerful, right? I was just doing a seven-day fast, and the amount of time we spend eating and preparing meals, and when suddenly that's uh, taken away, there's also kind of like a... It's like I do it to appreciate as well this kind of connection, but then I miss it, you know, and food for me has also been a way to travel while staying here or to connect with, with others and share those moments. And speaking about industries, and I think so many things need to, or we have the space to rethink and reimagine. 
and thinking about food and travel, what are some ideas or what do you think the travel industry right now could really use to reimagine itself? And what would you say are some urgent mm -hmm. pieces that could be considered when we're doing that exercise? I want to give just a, a tiny framework or kind of a context in order to share something here. The context is we are living through maybe the most important turning point in, in the history of our, of our species, in the history of human civilization. And when we say industry, right, or industries, there's really a way that we've built up the societies that we live in today and the economy that we live in today that has been mostly extractive, right? We haven't really um, taken the limited na nature of our resources, our, our, the planet's resources, we haven't taken that into account when building industries. And I would almost say like every industry has just taken for granted natural resources. So when it comes to the, 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 the travel industry uh, in particular, which is, you know, I, I, I've always said that travel is like fuel for the soul. When you go to a new place, you, you recharge, you, you expand your consciousness, literally you know, not figuratively, you expand how basically your, your brain has to readapt to new realities, to new ways of understanding how to live, to new ways of understanding what nature can look like and how beautiful it is, right? That's, that's the whole thing of, of travel. We get, you know, we feel awe when we, when we see a new landscape that we didn't know could be that beautiful or when we see a new culture or when we, we taste a new food, a new flavor, or when we hear a new language, right? And understand uh, a, a tradition. And so all these beauty that fuels our, our kind of almost need to travel makes it something kind of universal and timeless, but we haven't been taking uh, the limited kind of resources into account. So there's one paradigm shift that is happening right now. And I feel that we have become in the past century, um, especially post-industrialization, the apex predator of this planet, uh, which means that we are basically on top of the food chain, on top of the life chain. And we are able to, through our behavior or misbehavior, we're living through the sixth mass extinction. That is a fact. So how can we shift from systems and industries that are literally degenerative or destructive to regenerative ones, which means as we live, we create more life and we seed more life. How can we basically shift from being the apex predator of this planet to being the apex healer of this planet, right? By, by regenerator, I mean like our species could become the architects of life on this planet. If you think about all the carbon that is in the atmosphere right now, and we tend to demonize that, carbon is the building block of life. Anyone here in the audience has between 15 and 17% and, and, and of carbon in their bodies. We are carbon. We are made of the carbon that we ate through the food that you know certain plants absorb that carbon from the atmosphere. So that means that the carbon potential that is in the sky right now, if we pull it down into the earth, we can create basically paradise, right? That is the potential that is in the air, literally. And so back to the question, right? Can we 
shift from being predators to being healers, I want to do kind of a little quantic jump into, 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 into the same very kind of root of the word hospitality and the root of the word restaurant. Restaurant comes from uh, the word restaurar, restaura in, in, in Latin, which means to restore, to replenish. It's a place where we replenish our bodies of energy and nutrients that we need to move forward. Hospitality. Have you ever thought that hotel and hospital share the same word root, right? It's about healing. Hospitality is about creating a living space that helps people heal. So what if we take a completely different perspective on how we understand hospitality as, as basically as a, as a force for regeneration? And, you know, I, of course, this all sounds kind of very nice and very up here in the sky or kind of in the air, right, in the ether. But, uh, you know, I'm going to bring it down to something very concrete. I am Colombian. And in Colombia, we have some of the greatest biodiversity in the world and incredible landscapes and cultural influences. And so this could also kind of any, any country that has beauty, right? And all countries have beauty, arguably. But I see how in Colombia in particular, tourism could play a massive role in transforming the economies towards healthier economies with let's say conscious travel we, or regenerative travel because travel and, and hospitality is also the place where we can show the pinnacle of culture. We can show the most, the best aspects of culture. Now we have a long way to get to, to that place. First of all, we need to think about the infrastructure, right? If you think about the infrastructure of a place like Cancun, it's degenerative, right? It is it is not regenerative because in its very kind of infrastructure, it is designed to pollute for a variety of reasons, right? And we're seeing now the ecosystems of the Caribbean actually there responding to that um, pollution that is being created by tourism, by mass tourism. So we need to think about infrastructure. We need to think about culture and how we represent it. We need to think about, about the, the food systems and the products that actually cater for that demand. And there's a very beautiful thing that happens when you create regenerative experiences, which I have taken a part on in, in, in the past in Colombia and in Ecuador in particular, is that there are people that uh, are the hosts, really, the locals, right? The indigenous, let's say, people of a particular land feel empowered when they serve the beauty of their land, both uh, in, the, in terms of the hardware, right, the infrastructure, and the software, the culture uh, that, they are, that they give to, 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 to host. And I think that's kind of a fundamental aspect is, is really to, to see how kind of tourism can empower different ways of doing. And I believe also we need to decolonize and de-Westernize the way we understand hospitality in many cases as, you know, certain principles basically that we have exported all over the world and certain protocols of service and even of gastronomy are very much Eurocentric uh, in, 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 their, in their design. And so decolonizing gastronomy together with regenerative hospitality, I think, has, uh, has the potential. At least this is the dream I have, uh, and many of us have, uh, an continue in Elena, to see really food, uh, sorry, uh, hospitality as a, a very important part of the puzzle in order to create a more um, 
regenerative societies and inspire new ways of being with the earth. Yeah, amazing. I mean, now that you were speaking about Colombia, I mean, uh, the potential there. And I was, um, I didn't manage to go, but I was talking a lot about the area of Choco, uh, which mm -hmm. is really ocean and jungle. And I think the question yeah. we were asking at that time was, how can we make sure it stays ocean and jungle and doesn't become beach and sea, which is what would be the kind of like what you were saying, this kind of colonization of the concept of what's going on to keep it safe to keep it standard you know there's like a sense of of wanting to use coastal areas just for extractive yeah. pleasures rather than me, more an adventure and explorative yeah. part let me paint a little example because you mentioned choco and 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 i feel that it's it's a duty to 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 inform um through these platforms um right now choco and the communities in the in that land which is one of the most biodiverse like that department is one of the most, the places that has most rain and um, rainfall and, and, and water resources. And at the same time is one of the most biodiverse places in the world, almost as biodiverse as, the, as, as parts of the Amazon, right? And we're talking about a coastal Pacific that connects Panama and Colombia, right? Like the little corner there. And so right now communities there have to struggle between uh, drug wars and mining. Right now, there's a lot of mining there because there's a lot of gold and the rivers are being polluted by the mercury that is being used in order to clean gold in these mines. These communities are basically dying in certain aspects and they're also the stewards of some of the most beautiful land in the world. So what can regenerative hospitality do there? It could eventually empower the identity of these places, save ancestral knowledge, you know, show these places in their natural beauty to the world in order to create conservancy efforts and, and basically create places of wonder for people who travel, right? And so that is, and, and, and it's all about, you know, impact, impact grows where the money flows. If we are able to create an economy around sustainable tourism, we wouldn't probably have the same problems with mining, the same problems with uh, extractivism, also of natural resources, and, 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 of, and of course, also preserving culture. So anyways, just wanted to do a little more precision on that particular part of no, that's great. And I think uh, maybe it would be interesting to explore a little bit because I don't know how uh, known it is really this concept of of stewardship. And I, that's also another example I saw when I was in Colombia. In some regions, especially in the Medellin area, they're paying the local communities, like let's say a monthly salary to keep, preserve, and uh, take care of natural resources. And that I found also like a, such a revolutionary mindset in terms of how we've been using, let's say, and I, I do use the word using uh, consciously, mm -hmm. local communities to kind of like show and tell. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's a, it's a very different uh, approach is how can we really use the local knowledge instead of trying then to recreate it because we've killed it uh, to just preserve and really acknowledge that as a job, acknowledge that as a, as a, as a duty that people do it anyway, because it's their, their land, but this kind of concept of stewardship, I think it's, it's uh, beautiful and also would help us preserve so many other things, including food, right? Seeds that we've lost, um, species that we just don't know to just be part of the ecosystem because they have been part of the ecosystem always. Have you seen other examples of, or, or could you, because I know you've used that word a couple of times already, how stewardship could become a more key role in, in hospitality and, and also in 
in the restaurant yeah. <laughs> scene, let's yeah, say. Yeah, of course. I yeah, I think there's there's many efforts being done all over um, uh, all over the planet. I've, I've had the chance to visit some places, uh, particularly in Kenya, right? And, and 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 you know, it's it's complicated, in particular in in East Africa and Kenya, because there's and um, and in Sub-Saharan Africa in general. When we think about tourism, you know, there's there's a lot of potential to actually create uh, tourism that uh, supports conservancy efforts directly, right? Like these are sanctuaries and the business model partly is because we have visitors that are allowed with a minimal footprint to be able to witness the beauty of these lands and, 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 and to be inspired by the cultural richness of the people who have been kind of leaving these lands ancestrally. So uh, there's a potential there, but it's definitely not mass tourism yet, right? And so how can we even consider thinking of creating mass tourism uh, in ways that are regenerative um, and maybe connecting conservancy to tourism. There needs to be different types of partnerships, right? Uh, one thing, so I, I teach a course on transformational leadership and transformational hospitality um, in, in Lyon. And, and it's, you know, the biggest conversation that we've had in the past six months, especially after COVID, has been the need to reinvent the business models of hospitality and restaurants. And when I say business models, like you see how restaurants are kind of, you know, today an, an integral part of, of our daily life, our, our social life, of our well-being, right? And there is kind of an army, <laughs> an army like a, an amazing group of humans who, who, who know how to hold these places and who right now are suffering really deep from this crisis. Um, how can it be that something that is considered a cultural institution, right, restaurants, food culture, is suffering so much because they are completely dependent on, on a capitalistic model of, uh, of business, right, where the only income you have is basically customers coming through the door. Can it, can't it be that this, you know, in particular certain cultural aspects should be preserved just like museums and should be subsidized in a way or another, because they are living memory. They are living expression of culture, of the farmers, of um, the human stories, the landscapes, the seasons around a place. So I think, you know, and there's many ideas on how we can evolve this, but, but I really do believe that the big, big money around hospitality and tourism is waking up to, hopefully waking up to the fact that, you know, we can do business without being extractive. We can do business while educating people, while giving more than just a bed and a plate of food, and that there is, let's say, a cultural obligation to do so. Yeah, beautiful. I was about to ask you uh, what would be a question that you would ask a travel company leader right now, and I think that one of how can you reinvent your business model? How can you rethink what value is and what is your value proposition for your customers mm. and for your company in general. It's a yeah. beautiful question that perhaps we could just learn from, from looking at how, you know, the cradle to cradle and other business models that have actually emerged from not from consumption and depletion, but rather from preserving and uh, regenerating. So I think that mm -hmm. would be an interesting upcoming area. And I think of a first, because I'm always trying to find the questions that can lead for for people to rethink and reimagine. And I think the, the business model is definitely like one of the key mm -hmm. aspects here. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so, Charles, I could definitely listen to you for forever and talk to you for forever, <laughs> as we sometimes may do. Uh, but I did want to um, end with asking you what has been your most uh, transformational travel experience and why? And if you can tell us a little bit about how you transformed in that. Okay, so I traveled to a place in 2010. I think it was my first transformative travel and it wasn't even in a hotel. It wasn't even, you know, there were no restaurants. I visited zero restaurants and zero hotels and had my most amazing travel adventure. Uh, it was actually in the Sierra Nevada de Santa Marta in, in the north of Colombia. Incredible mountain um, that peaks at 5,900 meters, twin peaks at 30 kilometers from the Caribbean Sea, where for the past thousands of years, four communities have been living in harmony with nature. That is the first time where I had really kind of an exchange and an encounter with, uh, with pre-Columbian um, culture and peoples in, um, in, in Colombia. And I learned so much just by talking to them and creating a friendship with an indigenous community member, Jesid. Um, his, his actual name is Duwikangu Mwadei. And he, we just became friends on, on the road. I was just traveling there with, with, a, with a couple of friends, actually filming, doing a pilot around food and culture in the region. We became friends. He invited me up to his house, 12 hour walk from the, from the road. And I had the most incredible few days living like living with them in their home and, you know, going to harvest with a prayer, going to harvest the carrots uh, in the morning uh, to grate um, and to mix with some eggs. And I had the best omelette I've had in my whole entire life made by this, this woman, the mother of the home. I couldn't believe my taste buds. I couldn't believe what I was tasting. And it was just grated carrots with a couple of beaten eggs. And it was just all, everything was from, you know, 20 meters around the house. And, and of course the landscapes and the sounds at night and the wild, right, was really transformative in a way that I understood that we are, we are in many cases not on the right track to create a balanced civilization. They actually say that the civilized human is the one that lives in harmony with nature. That is their definition of civilization is living in harmony, which means that we are not here in cities actually civilized yet. And so that gives me hope to think that one day we'll reach that point. Thank you so much, Charles. And you made me hungry thinking about uh, the beauty of that omelette and the simplicity wow. of all the things that, that nature gives to us and how just that in itself is art and being able to reach everything in like 20 meters, right? Like what a, what a gift. So thank you so much for joining us and for your time and for sharing from your heart and with all the projects that you do that are bringing change and hopefully questions to how we live for others to, to take on. Um, so thanks so much for, for everything. And I'll put, I know that you have a Patreon channel that you share a lot more. So I will put that in the links so people can follow and support your work as we go along and looking forward to seeing so much more of your magic in the world. Thank you. Thank you so much, Elena. And so and also for your work with authenticities and um, just in general being a, a leader in this space to, to try and, and create more mindful travel experiences. Thank you, Charles. Talk to you soon. <laughs> 
I have absolutely loved this conversation with Charles Michel. He's definitely made me think about what business models can be reinvented so that we can take this role of apex healers and we can regenerate businesses, earth, and what we do in a different way. If you want to continue this conversation about how we can redesign travel and how travel can be a force for good, I invite you to subscribe to our channel and please engage in conversation with us via email or through our website and tell us what you think, what you would do differently. How can you be steward of this planet? How can you use hospitality and restaurants to really serve as healing places for people to join us? Thank you very much and hope to catch you next week.